You have not told us yet, Monsieur le Docteur, said Agath, how the little fellow fell into the water. I fancy that he was not trying to play a trick on himself. Oh no. Mademoiselle, but still that accident happened to him as a result of his evil disposition. In the first place, he did not fall into the water he went in himself. My young gentleman was pleased to bathe, although it isn't warm enough yet for bathing in the river, but he had been forbidden to do it, and that was a sufficient reason for him to do it. He had also been told, when he did bathe, not to go to that particular part of the Marne, because, on account of the eddies and currents, it was very dangerous, and even the best swimmer might be drowned. My little scamp, who is afraid of nothing, did not fail to go to that spot to bathe, about three days ago. But when he tried to swim, he found that he was being drawn under, his strength failed him, and he shouted for help. Ami happened to be passing his master was not far away, probably, and in two bounds the dog was in the water. He swam toward the child, who was sinking, caught him by the hair, and carried him to the bank. The little fellow had nothing worse than a fright. Of course he patted and fondled the dog, to thank him for the service he had rendered him. He? He called him a nasty beast and said, You fool, to grab me by the hair and make my head ache. You deserve to be licked. That was the young gentleman's gratitude. Oh dear. He certainly is a wicked little boy. If my son had lived, sighed Honorine, I am sure he wouldn't have been naughty like that. Probably not, madam, for children generally take after their father and mother more or less, although there have been great criminals who were born of most estimable parents. But you would have taken care of your child, madam, you would have repressed his evil tendencies, corrected his faults, early in life, and that is just what poor Jacqueline could not do. The good woman, being obliged to work for her living, could not keep her eye on the boy, who, no doubt, passed his days in the village street with the other children, from the moment he was able to walk. And here it is the same, Jacqueline works for her sister, and little Emile does what he pleases, for there is no way of keeping him in the house. Mare Turnicoy undertook to make him go to school, but no, the rascal beat his schoolmates, laughed at his teachers, played tricks on them, concealed or destroyed the school books so that they turned him out of the school. He's a promising child, cried Agath, still, I am curious to see him. And so am I, said Honorine. If only we might by gentle treatment and reasoning bring him around to better sentiments, for he will be a man some day. There are too many people who enjoy doing evil, and it is blameworthy to allow the number to increase. What you say is very true, madam, but in truth I believe that you would waste your time with a lost child, not that he is without intelligence and doesn't understand what is said to him, oh. No, indeed. On the contrary, the little rascal has plenty of wit, and he often proves it by what he says, but it's an evil kind of wit, mischievous and wicked. Oh. Doctor, consider that he is not eight years old, so you told us. One would think, to hear you talk, that you do not love children. I do love them dearly until they are two years old, but very little when they are growing up. If this one has intelligence, there is still hope, 
Only the unintelligent are hopeless. Ah! But what I love, cried Agath, is that splendid dog, who throws himself into the water as soon as he sees anyone in danger, that is magnificent. That is not at all extraordinary, mademoiselle, in a dog of that breed. I do not mean to decry Ami's merit, I acknowledge that it is very great, although our acquaintance began in such strange fashion, as you remember. I simply mean to say that history, both ancient and modern, relates such astounding facts with respect to dogs that one would be tempted to doubt them, if they did not come from authors deserving of credit. Moreover, we ourselves constantly witness actions which do honor to the canine race. I have read not a little for one must do something with one's time, and in this small place my profession leaves me a great deal of leisure. If I were not afraid of making myself a bore, I would tell you some of these remarkable stories. Far from boring us, it will interest us deeply, but you will allow us to work while we listen. The doctor, having taken a pinch of snuff, bowed to the ladies, because he thought that he was going to sneeze, and continued, with that supremely happy expression which appears upon the faces of people who are given to gossiping when they see that their listeners are profoundly attentive. What I am about to tell you, Madame, you know already, perhaps, for, I say again, they are facts reported by historians or travelers, you will please stop me if I tell what is familiar to you. In A History of the Indies, by Oviedo, I have read that a man who was guilty of a heinous crime was abandoned to a dog who was accustomed to eat the poor devils who were placed at his mercy. Well, the criminal having thrown himself at the dog's feet, praying for mercy, the beast took pity on him and did him no injury. The authorities, believing that they saw the hand of God in the incident, pardoned the culprit. To my mind this is far more wonderful than the story of Androcles, for Androcles had previously rendered the lion a service by removing a thorn from his foot, and the king of beasts recognized his benefactor, whereas the dog had never before seen the man who knelt at his feet. The learned men of those days who were men of merit too declared that this miracle was to be attributed to the power of the man's eyes over those of the dog, and this is the opinion of modern scholars as well, they attribute to the human glance a mighty power of intimidation, let us rather say of fascination, over all animals, and it is this power of the glance which enables men to subdue the wildest horses. But I return to the dog. A tyrant of a small principality in Italy had a pack of hounds trained to hunt men and regularly fed on human flesh. A child was tossed to this pack and the dogs did not touch it. In this case it may have been that the victim's tender age awoke a secret compassion in their hearts. We often have proofs that dogs are very fond of children, they display with respect to them a gentleness and patience really extraordinary. Jean-Jacques Rousseau saw a child bite a poodle until it yelped with pain, and yet it did not manifest the slightest temper. The Jean Van philosopher, who claimed to be a friend of mankind, did not fail to draw this conclusion, that dogs are superior to men. The dog displays unwavering attachment to his master, he understands his wishes, knows his habits, always submits to his will, to serve him is a necessity of his existence. In Siberia, during the summer, the dogs are allowed to run wild, so that they may provide themselves with food. 
No matter how much they may be overworked, brutally treated, beaten even, they return to their masters nonetheless, at the approach of winter, to be harnessed anew to the sledge and resume their laborious service. In India there are the pariah dogs, which have neither master, nor friend, nor home. They try to attach themselves to strangers, they exhaust every means of persuasion to induce them to adopt them. It often happens that one of them will follow for a long distance the palanquin of the traveler whose service he begs to enter, and he does not leave it until he falls in his tracks, utterly exhausted. According to Cuvier, mankind made the most useful and complete of all conquests when it domesticated the dog. Without the dog, he says, men would have fallen victims to the wild beasts they have subdued. Other animals surpass the dog in strength and beauty, but throughout the world the dog alone is the ally of man, because his nature makes him susceptible to man's advances and obedient to his will. He is a turncoat who has deserted the ranks of our enemies and passed into our camp in order to aid us to become masters of the other animals. To obtain a just idea of the dog's real worth, we must take note of the value which savage races attach to him. In Australia, women have been known to give the breast to puppies. I hasten to add that this has never been seen in France, because the women here are not savages. Men in general are very fond of hunting. There are some men indeed who cannot exist without it. Hunting is the first instinct of the dog. In unsettled countries they join in troops to hunt the buffalo, the wild boar, and sometimes even the lion and the tiger. Pliny relates the anecdote of Alexander's Albanian dog, who conquered a lion and an elephant in succession, and whose tail, paws and ears were cut off, one after another, without making him give the slightest indication of pain. The terrier holds his own against beasts fifteen times as large as himself, no matter how cruelly his adversary may tear him, he dies without a groan. Few of the domesticated breeds possess courage and contempt of pain in so high a degree. Nature develops in dogs faculties suited to the countries in which they live. The dogs of the banks of the Nile drink while running, in order not to fall into the jaws of the crocodile. The dogs of New Orleans, when they wish to cross the Mississippi, stand barking on the bank to attract the alligators, and when they feel sure that the reptiles have all assembled at that point, they scamper away at the top of their speed and jump into the stream half a mile farther up.